Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Let Israel say, let the house of Aaron say, let those who fear the Lord say, in my anguish I cried to the Lord and he answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I cut them off. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees, but they died out as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous, saying together, the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Together, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. And together we say, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, well, it's April and people are into it. The Stanley Cup playoffs have begun, and for many, that's what life is all about these days. Time is spent watching game after game, and conversations are filled with hockey talk. And because the Toronto Maple Leafs, of all things, made the playoffs and are up against their arch rivals, those Bruin from Boston, who eliminated them last time in a rather unceremonial manner. It seems that the tension and the desire to see the games has ramped up. Some would suggest that the hockey gods are busy, and, and many local fans are wondering, is this the year that the Leafs will drink from the Holy Grail? It almost sounds religious. And in a manner of speaking, it is a religious event. 
There often seems to be an awe or holiness about the whole world of professional sport. There are all sorts of rituals that the players and coaches follow as they prepare for their games. There's a certain awe that people have when they walk into an arena, and there's a certain awe when they get to meet their hockey heroes. And there's a deep-seated desire on the part of many to somehow participate in it all and, and give their lives to it. And so from a male hockey perspective, for example, boys and young men dream of playing professional hockey and in their various leagues or in their pickup hockey games will emulate their idols and their heroes. And then once on an, on an NHL team, the goal, it seems often the sole goal is to drink from the Stanley Cup, that holy grail, and hoist it and loudly proclaim, we are the champions. When we lived in British Columbia, I remember that it was as if the entire province shut down whenever the Vancouver Canucks were in the playoffs. They didn't do so well this year. Traffic was light, and everywhere there were gatherings as people were glued to their televisions to watch the games and cheer on the only team that counted. The rhythms of life in Canada and in the spring include hockey playoffs and now also basketball playoffs as the Titans local team and the Raptors uh, are doing rather well. Homes are opened to allow groups to gather. Sports bars are filled with people. Whole streets are filled with people, many of whom are strangers to one another but who nonetheless come together for one single purpose, to cheer on their team. Food and drink are part of the equation. And then when the team wins, and particularly when a team wins a series or a championship, the crowds pour out into the streets and honk and yell and make lots of noise with a desire to let the whole world know that their team has won and is worth watching and following and so forth. Oh, and for those who are unable to go to church and be part of those big crowds, for those who have no one to watch the games with, you can worship in private through the use of radio or online broadcasts. When one is alone, you can jump up, you can yell, you can fist pump, but it's not the same, is it, as, you, as it is when you're together with hundreds or thousands of others. With a larger crowd comes more fun and more excitement, more encouragement. It seems like more focus. Then, once the playoffs are over and there are no more games, some almost experience a sort of withdrawal reaction. Now what do we do with all the time we have? Oh yeah, there are the boys of summer. There's baseball and soccer and before long CFL and NFL. A never-ending diet of sports. You know, thinking about the annual playoff rituals that seem to be part of the rhythm of life for many, even of us, and having perhaps even shaped our thinking and approach to life at certain times of the year, made me think about some of the spiritual practices that have helped to shape many of us who have grown up in the Reformed tradition 
including the two for this morning, namely the disciplines of worship and prayer communally and individually. Not only have these and some of the other disciplines we've looked at throughout this Lenten season as we're walking toward Jesus helped us to shape us in terms of our thinking and approach to life, but they have become part and parcel of the rhythm of our lives. Oh, perhaps when we're thinking of worship and prayer, it's not as exciting or it doesn't quite put us on the edge of the seat as many a hockey or a basketball game may. And yet the spiritual practices are important and really when it comes right down to it are much more valuable than the things that we do which don't last. Because I got news for you. Even if the Maple Leafs win the cup this year, for example, uh, and maybe they're the champions for the next year, but come September, they got to start all over again. They got to start all over again because they're only champions for one year. But we, as God's people, are more than conquerors through him who loved us, writes the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. In other words, while conquerors need to look over their shoulder at who's coming behind them, the next one to take over, and while conquerors may only be champions for one season in Christ, we are victors for all eternity. Enter Psalm 118. This psalm is the last of the Halal collection of psalms from 113 to 118. And these are songs of praise and thanksgiving which came to be used at the Passover, the very feast that celebrated the deliverance of the people of Israel from their bondage in Egypt. This particular psalm could, could perhaps fall into two halves, verses 1 through 18. The psalmists and other worshipers are on their pilgrimage toward Jerusalem for one of the great feasts. And then verses 19 through 29, the worshipers have arrived at the temple where their worship continues. And so it was, as one writer put it, a song for festive processional corporate worship. Festive, processional, corporate worship. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 118 begins and ends with those words and with the call for all of God's people to proclaim his love endures forever. We're not told what event the psalm responds to, but obviously some great victory had taken place, military or otherwise, and the people are excited. They're thrilled. They're jumping up and down. They have been saved by the hand of the Lord. Verse 17, I will not die, which is what I thought I was going to do, but I will live. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm alive. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Perhaps they're celebrating because of their release from Egypt at the time of Moses or some other occasion that they were celebrating. Who knows? But there certainly is great excitement in this psalm. And throughout the psalm, there are references to communal worship, gathering worship, but also, like in verse 17, there are personal references. I will proclaim what God has done. 
The response of Israel to what had taken place was intended to encompass all of one's being, all of one's life, publicly and privately. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. When you read Psalm 118, you kind of get the picture of an exciting, ongoing, living relationship between the Lord and one of his children. A child who thinks about the Lord and speaks to him regularly in prayer, and a child who understands that he or she is part of a, of a much broader family, namely the people of the Lord. And because they're members and part of that much broader family, that child has a desire to regularly meet with others, to jointly Praise the Lord who has saved them as a people. The one who writes this psalm is a child of the king who doesn't want to be alone or hold the faith to him or herself. Communal worship is powerful. Yes, I can sit on my couch and I can worship. I can be alone and I can watch worship and give a fist pump or perhaps even sing a hymn. I can even give thanks to what the Lord, for what the Lord has done for me personally. And I can give thanks privately. But you know, my personal proclaiming what the Lord has done pales in comparison to a crowd of people singing God's praise and giving Him the glory. My singing alone, my solo is much more exciting and encouraging and powerful when I'm singing along with a whole lot of other people. Besides walking away from that individual emphasis to the communal emphasis puts the worshiper in a context, a much broader context. When you're thinking about the community and you're thinking about your place in that, it gives you an identity. I'm a child of the Lord, yes, but I belong to a family, a family that sings together, a family that prays together, a family that bows together before the Lord and the kin, recognizes him as king. And when I'm in that family and when I'm sitting there and I'm unable to pray or to sing, there's a family that picks it up for me and that does it around me and for me, so to speak. I remember in one of my congregations, a couple whose child had died. And a number of weeks, maybe it was a month or so after the, after the child had died, the father was in the barn doing chores on a Sunday morning. And he called me from the barn and he asked me if he could sing when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows flow. He asked me if he could sing that as a solo in front of the congregation, telling the congregation thereby that in spite of what had happened in their family and what he had lost, it was well with his soul. I wondered how he would because he was not known for singing at all. 
And he was not a person who normally stood in front of crowds and, and sang or, or spoke or anything of the sort. Well, he started singing. When peace like a river attendeth my way. And then he could only go so far, as you can well imagine. I mean, he was thinking about his dead child and what they had lost. He could only go so far. And then at a certain point, the whole congregation just joined in. And they just started singing. And they sang the rest of the song. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. Such is the power of community. Such is the power of communal singing and worship. On other occasions, I've known of those who are simply unable to pray. And that's okay. The rest of the prayers of God's people carry them through. Well, now go with me to the New Testament and the story of Palm Sunday, a story that is seen as the fulfillment of Psalm 118. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, exclaimed the people as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey. They were quoting Psalm 118, verse 26. The rejected stone had become the capstone, the most important stone in the building, a direct reference to Psalm 118, in Psalm 118, to Jesus, to the Messiah who was to come. And now here he came, riding on a donkey, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And then even if the people had not proclaimed that, Jesus said the very stones themselves would shout out about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. If the people at that point had gotten all choked up and couldn't say another word, the creation would sing the song. Sweet imagery. And so the people communally sang and prayed that Jesus would save them. Hosanna. There was Jesus, the Christ, the Lord of glory, riding into Jerusalem in fulfillment of the prophecies of Zechariah. He didn't ride in as a conquering king, but he rode in as the prince of peace, who would end up not taking on the Roman Empire and establishing Israel as a nation but who rode in as a humble prince of peace who ended up suffering and dying on the cross for the sins of his people. And this coming Friday, Good Friday, we will be commemorating that story. But the story didn't end, on, end where Good Friday ended with Jesus in the tomb. It didn't end with a military victory. It didn't end with a team being eliminated or with a team winning but for one season. The story ended, well, it didn't really end, but continued with a great victory over death. Jesus rose again from the dead and thereby defeated death itself. And then of all things, he granted us that victory. He gave it to us by grace. Can you imagine and because of that great gift, and because of our new status as his adopted children, we are now victors, and no one can separate us from his love. And receiving such a gift, such a status, calls for a response, not just some half-hearted, wet noodle sort of cheap response. But it leads us to bless the Lord, to with 
Bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Or to new, use new, new Testament language, it leads us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It leads us to engage in communal praise and thanksgiving. After all, we're not alone in this. Jesus gave his life for his people. We do not gather with God's people in order to earn anything. We don't engage in prayer to earn anything. We don't engage in these two disciplines so we can win a cup and declare all of our, because, that because of our skills or prowess, we are the champions and we really have no time for those losers. On the contrary, we have time for losers. We better have time for losers because we are the losers. All of us. Sinners. We are the fallen, created beings who stand in need of forgiveness and the newness of life. And then the amazing gospel of this time of the year, the amazing gospel, the amazing message of the Bible is, I will not die but live. Why? Because Jesus lives. Jesus has won the victory, and therefore this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Worship and prayer. Giving God what God is worthy to receive. Talking with God and listening to his voice are important disciplines of, Christian, of the Christian life to remain spiritually alive and vital. Actually, they're, they're like the endless practice put in by athletes to remain on top of their game and to be able to play at all. As the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. God's people gathering for worship and prayer are a couple of the Christian disciplines. And for that matter, the writer to the Hebrews, he picks up on all of that and he encourages his readers not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing because they've got lots of other things to do in life. But don't give up meeting together Encourage one another all the more as you see the day of Christ's return approach. We need each other. We need to be together. Knowing that the Lord has given his all for his people by entering into our world and life and by becoming one of us in Christ Jesus calls for his people to praise him and to respond with joy. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. They may resound in some locker rooms, but they should resound even more loudly and more importantly among God's people. And this is what they're saying. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things the Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Indeed, it has. 
in Christ. To God be the glory. Amen.